Hello and welcome to episode 747 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Wednesday, October 23rd. And I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Justin Mason. Justin, what's going on, man? Uh, we're about to lose power. It's the end of the world as we know it. In California, at least. <laughs> I still cannot believe this is a real thing, dude. It's not just even California, because like this one we're about to have uh, is a lesser power outage than the one that we had while, while we were in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is literally just my neighborhood. It is oh, is the part of my city that I reside in. My work is going to be open and have power. <laughs> uh, so I still have to go to work. Um, yeah, you can't even get off work. Yeah, but we, uh, yeah, j- just like my area is not going to have power, which is fun because I also have to go to school tomorrow, but my kids are out of school. <laughs> so I'm, it's, I'm bringing a nine-year-old but... and... Uh, um, a one-year-old to a college-level history class. Well, if they need to catch up on sleep, it'll probably bore them. I, I doubt they'll be all that interested. It's 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 truly disgusting, though, that this is happening. I, I just I am I'm floored by this that it's a real thing that it's continuing. Like you said, this happened when we were in Arizona a couple weeks ago. They're doing another one. Who knows if there's more in the future? absolutely awful my heart goes out to everybody dealing with that hopefully you got a generator because uh, that's this is impacting lives in major ways I'm, I'm i'm certain of it and so it's absolutely terrible but uh let's transition into some, some stuff that isn't terrible baseball including game one of the world series if they're all gonna be like this i'm ready that was a great game one and if you had told me beforehand you say the only bit of news I'm giving you is that neither Cole nor Scherzer is going to be on their game. I would have said, well, that's not going to be that great. And yet it still was for many different reasons. Not the least of which was the fact that they both showed why they're aces. Because in spite of not being at their best, um, Scherzer grinded out five. I, I can almost guarantee you even at 112 pitches, he'd have gone a sixth if they needed him. But they had the lead that they didn't have to push. And Cole, giving up five, still goes seven. And that extra inning or two that he goes saves the bullpen a bit because he had already given up the five through five. So, you know, you think most nights he gets taken out, but those extra innings that he can give them to not tax the pen and and keep it at five – just they just showed why they're aces, even when they weren't at their best. Uh, what were your thoughts on those two in Game One, Scherzer and Cole? Man, I was actually a bit surprised that they let Cole keep going out there, right? Uh, just because I was telling my wife, I was like, you, know, you look at these teams, and in spite of the record and the fact that the the Astros were the best team in the American League and the Nationals were a wild card team, they're very evenly matched. I, I knew you were going to say that, and I couldn't agree more the place where they're not evenly matched is in the bullpen. And and that's where the Astros have a real distinct advantage or should have a real distinct advantage. I think their advantage is not that big though. I do. I don't know. It's so much deeper. Is it though? I think it is. Don't you? I mean, if they they have to go like a, a 14, 15 inning game. I think that then it would flip. Because they've got some length. Um, I don't know. Did Wade Miley make the team? I don't I, believe I, I don't know. Did. Okay. Because uh, I was going to say, you know, he could go but they you know, Josh James, six for them. J- you know, James can go four. Peacock. Yeah, Peacock. They, they have guys like that. You're right when, when, when we're talking that. But in strictly nine-inning games, I don't know that their advantage is, is massive. It, it's an advantage. I will grant that fully. But they don't even have a lefty. Yeah. That's and Presley's true. not himself. Um, meanwhile, guys like uh, Hudson and Doolittle are doing some of their best work right now, giving the Nationals That's at least a nice one-two punch. Man. Hudson has been just unbelievable. The contract he's going to get. I mean, he's earned himself he's so be much money. Somebody's closer. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him, man. That, like, if you read the arm, the way his story is highlighted about going through the two TJs and everything. Just by all accounts, a great dude. I, I'm just been rooting rooting for him big time. And, you know, he did give up the one run, 
but uh, was still out there throwing bullets, goes four outs for them, and, you know, get, gets the ball to Doolittle, who also goes four outs there. I loved Corbin coming in. I was I was hoping for that. I thought that that was going to be the right move. And so, especially once you, once Scherzer's only going five, I think Corbin becomes an automatic. Tanner Rainey was a, was a bit wobbly there, but he still has electric stuff. I still think he could be a wild card here, an X factor for the team. That if they're going to win this World Series, I think he needs to give them some middle innings uh, where they can actually rely on him. And he's shown it at different parts throughout these playoffs. Yesterday wasn't his best work, but you still see what he has there with the 100-mile-per-hour uh, heat and then the uh, the 92, 91-mile-per-hour sliders. So I think Rainey's going to be a big key uh, if they're going to get through this here. But as the Nats win game one on the road, they take home field back. Um, they, they slay the beast, the best pitcher of this year, Garrett Cole. I think, I think that's an unchallenged comment there. What, where are you on the rest of the series now? How, how much does this change things? I, I don't want to overreact too much one way, but this is pretty big for them, no? They had to steal one of these two games to start mm-hmm. it off. Otherwise, they were going to put themselves in a pretty big hole. I'm He's still- already here. He's already here. Unbelievable. <laughs> <My> boy. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> the last, like, four times we recorded, we recorded completely different times in days. <laughs> and he still gets here. I'm uh, telling you guys, we're not lying. We do different times, different times of said days. He's always here. It's unbelievable. Uh, anyway, continue. It's amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with my original prediction that I made uh, last week, which was uh, the Nationals in six. I like it. I like uh, and it. I think the, the fact that they've stolen one of the cold starts, uh, I think, is huge for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he's going to get another shot in this series uh, at some point, but now they don't need to win that. So exactly, they got to hold serve obviously when they go back to Washington, but they have a real shot to put kind of a a death grip on on the Astros in Game Two tonight, which I won't be able to watch because I won't have power. That's crazy. Can you not um, supercharge your phone so that you can watch it on your phone? Oh I, no, no, I'm 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 using one of the generator ports. <laughs> <laughs> to run tv and uh, apparently my brother-in-law tried it while uh, the power was out while we were in arizona uh, and was able and the satellite still worked so that's good, that's good. Uh, so not i will, I will say, be watching it also for anybody that has uh you know issues with the game or whatever they can't find it youtube tv just do a, do the free one month trial they've got the game the delay isn't bad for a stream um, it's actually ahead of some of the other outlets where you might stream uh as far as that goes but yeah and you know Obviously, on Houston's side, I don't think they're panicked. They went down 1-0 at home to the Yankees. They know how good they are. They've got Verlander tonight. But, you know, I don't want to say it's must win, but it's it's pretty big. You you, you don't want to lose both at home uh, with your two mega studs. And the key, of course, with Verlander will be keeping the ball in the yard. That's the only thing that's been against him this year at any point. And now we look at the the re- the, the short rest game was bad. And then his last time out, he had the brutal first inning. Now, again, that was another game where not being at your best and showed why he was an ace because he still went seven there when you thought after that first inning that he might not go four. You know, he goes four hits, four runs in the first inning. You're like, well, how long is Verlander going to go? And he went seven against the Yankees in in that game five. Um, If you're Houston what are some things that they're looking for here that they've got to get going? Because I still feel like the hitting is is a little bit lagging behind. Yeah, the hitting is definitely lagging behind, and I don't know with how, how well Strasburg has been pitching. <laughs> I don't know that you're going to get to him. Yeah, not uh, the best time to try to get right hitting wise. Yeah, I mean that's not a it's not a great. I mean, I think you have to get aggressive on him and hope to try to uh, knock him out early and try mm-hmm. to get to that bullpen. I mean, there, there's two approaches. You either get patient and and try to run, you know, ring up the the pitch count or or get aggressive and I think he's been ju- his control has just been so pinpoint that uh you just got to get aggressive and, and kind of go after him and hope you knock him out in the first, you know, four innings to try to get to the the bullpen of Washington that doesn't have a ton of depth. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know that it's going to be possible. Uh, I think 
Houston really has to rely on on their pitching keeping them, you know, kind of toe to toe with Strasburg tonight. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, on Washington's side, you know, they stole a base, so we get free tacos right away. Yeah. Right away, the hero yeah. that is Trey Turner I says, mean, "You know what? If you weren't going to take him in the top ten picks going into twenty twenty, now you have to. you have to. He stole a base, stole a taco, and." Also in game one was so epic, we got a bathwater celebration of uh, uh, George Springer home run. So so good. You know my dad was all over it, mm-hmm. loving it. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, that, 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 that's just amazing analysis by me. It's it's still one of my favorite things is that how much he loved that. He goes, what the hell's the team George Springer's bet? What's that mean? It's like, well, you know, you, you like somebody so much you drink their bathwater. It's like... It's generally referred to for like a celebrity crush or something like that, uh, and he's using it in terms of uh, George Springer. And I he's actually, like, I, I wrote about it a little bit in one of the articles I've got coming up. I think it's my <laughs> Friday, <laughs> Friday <And> piece. <laughs> he was like, "Oh, that's hilarious." <laughs> so, so check out check out Rotographs on Friday for for my article there. I love it. I love it. I can't wait. But um, we're going to talk a little bit new more news here, and then we'll get into some third base rankings that I did. Uh, just yesterday, but David Ross inking with the Cubs here. And, you know, what we've really been focusing on, we talked about it with Joe Madden and, and some of these other moves that we're kind of waiting for to drop as far as manager moves is how it affects the fantasy angle, of course. But just in general, before we can get into that, what do you think of David Ross as, as a manager here? I've, I've seen both sides of it from Cubs fans, you know, kind of in my orbit, whether it's on the Twitch stream or on Twitter. Uh, some loving it, just, you know, they love David Ross in general. I think they're just a fan of him others nervous that he won't be able to kind of command respect because he's too buddy buddy with them it's hard to say that though because we don't really know the the relationship i i I can see where people are coming from with that uh like i've said previously about other managers i think we're we're moving into kind of an era where managers are becoming more and more meaningless in the game. They're mm-hmm. getting a lot of their information and a lot of their directions from up above. Yes. Uh, so I, I don't, and they have to be able to be that go between though. Mm-hmm. And I think they, I think the Cubs uh, will respect him. He, you know, he was an elder statesman of that world series team. Uh, the, he's, he's widely respected as one of the smarter players in baseball uh, during mm-hmm. that time. So I think he'll be fine in terms of a manager. I saw someone tweet out that this is just the Cubs' way of of getting someone likable at the forefront for when they tear it down. <laughs> I I don't I don't necessarily agree with that, uh, but I think from a fantasy angle, I'm kind of excited about this. Uh, we have no idea what David Ross will do, but it, from a stolen base perspective for the Cubs. Uh, it can't be any worse than Joe Madden was the last few years. The, the Cubs True. were 29th in stolen bases uh, this year. Uh, they were 24th the previous two seasons uh, before uh, this last year. So, or this, this, is, year, uh, this season. So, this is pure speculation. Trying to kind of figure some things out and and guess. Any chance that that a catcher coming in? Uh, you know, would would have an idea of like, okay, we can run on this catcher. We absolutely can't on this catcher, and just be more in tune with it in general, and kind of know when to press the pedal on the stealing and when to uh, when to peel back. Or, or is that is that overblown? I think there might be something to that, especially in uh, in a catcher's first year as a manager. I'm feeling like Osmus. Uh, when he took over the Tigers and then when he took over the Angels, they had huge spikes. Now, they ended up leveling off. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think initially, because who does running, you know, really affect? It affects a catcher uh, and it affects a pitcher. And if you remember guys running all over the place really messing with you, then and and it really messed with Lester, uh, you know, his his one of his, uh, you know, personal pitchers. Uh, then maybe you'll think that that is a good strategy moving forward. Now, who knows? The front office may be the one leading the directive of we don't want to run. 
because uh, we don't want to run into outs. So that obviously can have a role. But like I said, I, I don't think it could be any worse. I'm not going to project, you know, guys, you know, to double their stolen base uh, totals. But I, I'm definitely going to bump up guys, you know, a few stolen bases here and there in my projections. I like that, and I think that 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 definitely works. And we'll see how he does with bullpen management. I tend to think that the the uh, with Kimbrel there for two, you know, I know he finished brutally, and and all in all, it was pretty bad. That's a three year, forty three million dollar deal. He has the job coming in, so it won't be passing the baton around to the closer. He's going to be the guy uh, until he shows that that he can't handle. It. And if he comes out and pitches like he did at the end of the year, then Kimbrel will be out. But they'll at least come in with a decided guy right off the top. All right. Well, let's talk some. Uh, let's talk some third base here. I put out my rankings yesterday. Top thirty-five with uh, with some commentary, handful of honorable mentions. First off, let's talk about your strategy at the position. The hot corner has some depth, but one of the things that I mentioned that I want to highlight is is the multi-position eligibility. Kind of take away from some of that depth, though. If people are throwing them at different positions, you know, Lemayhew at second. McNeil in the outfield, um, Bregman at short. You know, you really start to cut into things after a while. Muncie at first, and all of a sudden it's like, well, it looked super deep, but now people are eating these guys up left and right. So what do you think about your, your general strategy at third base as you look at over uh, and as it related to your draft that we did uh, just a couple weeks ago? My, my strategy at third base is I I don't want to be left holding the bag with a lower tier third baseman. Mm-hmm. And I also, you have to make sure if, if you don't end up grabbing one of those initial guys, the, the Arenados, the Devers, uh, that you may need to worry about power coming from third base because we have a lot of non-traditional third basemen. That's a great call. So, you know, we have we have your traditional Miguel Sano's in there and Moustakis, obviously. But then you you have the guys that aren't hitting, you know, Gio Urshela. Do we really expect him with a less than bouncy ball to hit as many home runs? I don't think no. so. Yeah, I mean, Diaz has all the power in the world, but can't seem to figure out how to get it over the fence, you know, for 30 home runs. So And, and he didn't change, like, that that much it's not like he was a new player now he did hit the 14 homers in in 79 games and that's the easy extrapolation of like well he's on a 28 pace but even if you pace him even if you think it was more of like a 23 to 24 now you get a neutral ball and and you look at the fact that like i said he was still only 32 percent on the fly ball rate that happened to be up nine points from where he was but he took it pretty much all out of his line drive rate, Yandy Diaz did. So I, I agree with you there about these non-traditional third basemen in terms of power types, and so you want to get your pop there. And, I mean, you're right. These, these There's a lot of these guys that I'm going to want to target for other positions too, especially the guys who are first base eligible because first base feels atrocious. Oh, uh, my God. But that also means other people are going to be targeting these players. And so, well, it – when you look at the list, you go, wow, man, this, this list is 35 names deep. Uh, it's actually, you know, pretty deep for, you know, a 12 or even a 15 team league. Uh, it dries up really quickly. And I saw that in, in the draft. Uh, cause I left without a corner infielder, uh, after 21 rounds. Uh, and that feels gross and scary. Um, so I think it's one of those things that, uh, you're going to want to uh, attack the position early if you can. I, obviously, I don't tend to worry too much about positional eligibility in draft other than grabbing guys with multiple, uh, multi-positional eligibility. Uh, but if it's a tiebreaker, I'm definitely going to lean first base, then third base before I lean anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm with you 100% there. and. It's it's going to be really interesting at at the two corner positions here because like I said they can you know and even first base looks kind of juicy at the top but then that drop off is quick I think and it starts to get to a bunch of guys that that have some question marks do you you know I'd have no problem with Edwin Encarnacion at my corner do I want him as my first baseman not really not well, really I mean we're gonna have to talk about 
whether that matters anymore or as much anymore because the chances you're going to fill your corner with with uh, a first baseman in 2020 is probably probably pretty slim unless you try drowning the pool early. True. True. That's a good point. Uh, all right. Let's get into the ranking specifically, and, and I'll kind of open the floor to you about some of the, the questions that you have, uh, you know, at the wherever you are in the rankings. Did you have some guys that you're like, uh, excuse me? Oh, it's interesting because there, there are, are definitely guys where I go, oh, I feel like he should be higher, but I have a hard time. Uh, I have a hard time moving it up. I mean, I guess the first guy I'll ask about is uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy Edmond. 17th mm-hmm. in your rank, going in front of guys like Guriel, in front of Miguel Sano, who you know I love, and I'm sure we'll talk about more here in a little bit. Uh, in front of uh, Scott Kingery, a guy we both love. In front of Ryan McMahon, who uh, really broke out in, in the last half of the season. So defend your Tommy Edmond love, because I... I worry that he's not even going to have a real role. Uh, really? Well, the Cardinals have a history of these guys popping up and then, you, and and then, then kind they, of fading. And, well, not necessarily fading. I mean, sometimes it's fading, but sometimes it's just we're not going to give you a full-time role. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think he will. I think Edmund will find a full-time role, uh, even if it's not in one position. And uh, you have 34-year-old Carpenter and his health uh, at third base. Uh, you've got the outfield. I don't think they're going to re-sign Marcelo Zuna. Um, and so I think you've got a lot of flexibility there. Colton Wong, I think, kind of has that lockdown on, on second base there. Um, I think the whole infield is locked down. So. I, I don't think third is locked down. I mean, Carpenter, Carpenter was awful, and he's old and always injured. Isn't that contract going to give him some some more rope? For I, three weeks until he gets hurt. Okay. I, I have no confidence. I mean, you you remember when we had zero confidence in him. We were a year early because he was a nightmare last year. <laughs> Do we get credit 19. for that? We were. Yeah, right. We, I mean, we were, we were finally we were right. A year early. <laughs> we couldn't have been possibly more wrong in 18 when we mm-hmm. faded him. But then pretty much exactly what we feared happened in 19. And, you know, I, I don't want to go all the way and say he's 100% done because I don't truly believe that. But – I do believe the health will remain an issue. I mean, you look at the last four years, 2018's 156 games are the high for Carpenter, 129, 145, 156, 129. So I think there's going to be time there. But I, I think even even absent that, the outfield offers plenty of opportunity for Tommy Edmond to play. Um, right now, I mean, he was playing, what, primarily in right field a lot in the playoffs. And... That's with Ozuna still on the team. Again, they, I don't they really hate Tyler O'Neill. They do, and it's probably because he doesn't really know how to make contact with the ball. He's an intriguing pros- prospect for sure. I would like to see him get a shot, but there's room for both because, again, I don't think that they're going to resign Ozuna. Yeah, but then they're going to play that Bader dude. Well, Bader's going to play center well, because he's an you got Fowler still, right? That's true. That's true. I think that hurts O'Neill more than Edmund, though. Oh, so no, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think it hurts O'Neill. But the Cardinals wouldn't surprise me if the Cardinals go out and pay someone. That is absolutely something that I'm nervous about, um, is that if they did bring in somebody else for the outfield that was a mid-tier kind of outfielder type, maybe not as expensive as Ozuna, but then that next drop level down, uh, that would be a little bit nerve-wracking. But as far as Edmund's skills, I absolutely love the speed. He's a true blazer. He was 15 for 16 on the bases in the ma- in the majors, 9 for 9 in his 49 games in the minors, um, 30 for 35 in 2018. I mean, you get the point. He can really, really run. Great contact, can take a walk. I think even with a neutral ball, because we saw 11 homers in 92 games. Don't get crazy extrapolating that or anything like that. Um, I'd put him down for like, 14 15 in a in a full year with a standard ball but give me average obp s- uh, speed and runs and obviously the average obp is kind of one or the other in most leagues but i think either that you play will be good for edmund and just the the massive speed without being a total zero 
to your uh, other categories is what I like. You know, almost like, you know, he can do Malik Smith numbers on the SBs without being the deficiency that Malik Smith can be in other spots. So 17, I definitely feel like I'm on the high end. Some of the Cardinals fans, uh, friends that I have were like, hey, I thought you were high on it. Believe me, I am going to be one of the higher folks at 17. But again, it's that speed and batting average that makes me confident uh, in somebody like Tommy Edmond. Okay. Uh, next one. Next gripe. Uh, there is one player, or sorry, there are three players on this list that hit three thirty or above in the second half. One is okay. Alex Bregman. Two is Anthony Rendon. Do you know who the third is? <sighs> Let me try to guess this. Is it? J.D. Davis? You're damn right it's J.D. Davis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say, a lot, now, probably not enough, or I will say definitely not enough for your liking. I did make a last-second move to move him up a decent bit. I know it's only he's only 27 out of 35, so you're like, well, where the hell was he before that? Well, he was lower. And so I, I did move him up, and um, I actually did a last-second you know, kind of investigation right before I was posting the list. Of J.D. Davis, compared him to a guy I really do like, Hunter Dozier, and realized I think he needs to be ahead of Hunter Dozier. So I did make that move. I had Hunter Dozier up a few spots higher than Davis, and now I have Dozier at 28 and Davis at 27. I like him. The the issue here, or, or, or the thing of it is, I think there's a third base glob, and I think it there runs is, yeah. Moustakis to Andahar, and maybe even Carpenter if you could guarantee me a modicum of health. And, and that's pretty big, 19 to 31. I agree with you there, but I think that uh, he should have free reign in yes. left field. Uh, so, in his Todd, please say Todd Frazier is a free agent. Um, he has 42 more years left on his contract. Let me look up. So, um, he is indeed a free agent. So, with so. J.D. Davis, one of the things I mentioned in the comment, blood red. Statcast yeah, profile, is. and what that means is when you go on Baseball Savant, they got that little that little key in the upper right corner there, and you want all red on, on that. Um, and his is is bloody. I mean, they're all the way to the end. That's very positive. Like Hunter absolutely looked at the beginning of the year. Yes, and and JD Davis did it for the whole year. He absolutely obliterated the ball and made improvements against righties that make me really confident in him because he came into the year as, as somebody who's a, uh, a lefty masher. And you're like, well, you don't want a short platoon type of guy there. It's funny that you bring him up too, by the way, uh, just from leftover tabs from yesterday, his baseball savant page is one of the ones I still have up and he was awesome. So I, I do like him and I can hear you wanting him higher, I do. uh, maybe above like a Listella and Urshela. Definitely. And then compared to like a birdie, that's two different profiles. Did you need, do you need the speed or do you need the yeah, elite power? I think, I think find you, whichever way you went. I think yeah, you go either way. Uh, I, I want to put him right up there with McMahon and Kingery and Guriel and Sano. I, I think you're right though. This this is a, a glob uh, from probably about seventeen to thirty. Yeah, so. yeah. Because if Andujar comes back healthy. You know, he he did it without the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he didn't need he didn't need a juice ball. So if he's healthy and ready to go, he put up twenty seven ninety two with a two ninety seven batting average in twenty eighteen. Um, you know, I think he comes back and you put him down for at least like a twenty five two eighty projection, and and you really like that. So yeah, I, I hear you on that. Uh, J D Davis, one of those guys that once you're in this club, you start to make your picks, and if he's one of your picks. I can get behind that because he will have the playing time. And you mentioned the outfield piece. You can put him in the outfield. So if you're already locked in, loaded at third base, take J.D. Davis, throw him in your outfield. But uh, another example of why this is why third base may seem pretty uh, flush, but it'll dry up pretty quickly in in some of these drafts. I know he went – I can't remember exactly where in my draft, but – Actually, I can pull that up while you're – I've got it. Did you get him? I did not, but I was super bummed. He was one of those guys that when he went, there was an audible groan for me. Yes. Same, same, same for me. I was like, dang it. I should have. I was really hoping that I could sneak him late. Uh, and when he went, I was like, oh, okay. He went earlier than I thought he would go. You're like, uh, oh, dang. Everyone else saw the same stuff I did, and I didn't react properly to it. 
that's how I felt. I was like, oh, Paul, you idiot. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm very, very excited about him. Uh, a little bummed you have my boy Renato Nunez at 35. Uh, really thought he almost he, wasn't ranked. I know, but he, he, he's gonna do exactly what he did this last year, which is hit home runs. He's gonna hit dingers. He, he uh, is going to hit dingers. Um, it's gonna come at the cost of your average. <laughs> correct, correct, and <laughs> but, he's. he's Still bad against righties. Now, he did have pop against Mm -hmm. them this year, and that's what sustained him, which I mentioned in the comment. Uh, He absolutely crushes lefties. He played DFS. Renato Nunez faces a lefty. uh, He's an automatic. You you do a Baltimore stack versus lefty with him and Hans or Alberto. Absolutely. Um, But, yeah, I wanted wanted to rank him. I didn't just want an honorable mention because I do like him. He was actually – I drafted him with my last main event pick. So we we were on the train together there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of my early cuts, unfortunately. But I I, I understood the uh, the interest in him, and I, I I backed your interest this year. I know he was one of your guys that you were definitely keying in on late in drafts. There's no reason he won't play regularly. What is he like? Yeah. 25, 26? He's not yeah, old. He's twenty twenty five. Next year will be his twenty uh, or twenty six season. Uh, he's gonna hit in the middle of that lineup. The front half of that lineup may actually be halfway decent, uh, depending on what they end up doing with Trey Mancini if if they're mm-hmm. gonna uh, move on from him or not. So, uh, and, and you know Jonathan VR for that matter. I think a lot of people, and we saw it in in, in those drafts we did and in the two early monks, taking Jonathan VR really high, uh, and I don't have a problem with that. I think there is a real chance he gets moved. Uh, which could really hurt his value and obviously hurt the rest of the team's value in terms of individual fantasy players. That being said, he's going to play because they have Mm -hmm. no one else. Uh, And so the fact that he's going to play every day uh, and hit probably fourth in that lineup is, you know, you should probably be able to pencil in 30 home runs next year. Yeah, regardless of the ball, too. I Mm -hmm. think his power plays plays regardless. So uh, I, I feel you on that. Um, let's uh, anybody else that you want to key in on before we talk about a few other things here. Who uh, Miguel Sano? I mean, I mentioned already he's always a guy that I'm going to fall for, especially mm-hmm. in the leagues where you can punt batting average. Uh, he only played in 105 games last year because of injury, <laughs> and he uh, hit like a billion. He hit 34 home runs, had 76 runs, 79. <laughs> RBI and hit 247. If he hits 247 next year in a full year, we're talking 50 home run potential. I mean, you're not wrong. And, and however, and like 9100. The the part of that hypothetical that is really problematic that I, that I just can't get behind is the full year part. I have no reason to believe that he can pull off a full year. I disagree. It was such a fluke weird injury. And he missed time the previous year because of like a suspension, wasn't it? He was in I feel great like he's shape. He's been hurt every year but of his he existence. He was in really, really good shape this year, and as long as he maintains that coming into next year, I think this is the year Miguel Sano finally puts it all together and hits like forty-five bombs. He he does have an injury every year. Um, strain the left hamstring. Year. I probably do. I'm old. I turn thirty-eight tomorrow. Um, That's stress right. reaction in the left shin, strained left hamstring again last year, and then the laceration of the right heel this year. That was the one that was uh, a bit flukier um, as far as Sano's injury. He like but, slipped going down the dugout or something, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it was definitely it was definitely not uh, not you know one of these chronic injuries. Hamstring popping up twice though is a little bit something. Bigger dude. Some of these big guys that keep getting injured at some point, it's like. Well, uh, there's something going on here more than just bad luck, you know, with your Stantons and your Judges and your Sinos. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the thing of it is, like, I, I hear you. I knew you'd question on him, and yet this is me coming around a bit because normally I put him at like twenty five, thirty because he's just such a headache. But I put him at twenty. Tried to put some respect on his name. Thirty four homers in one hundred and five games is so stupid, and uh, I, I do believe that the ball will not matter for somebody like Sano. I mean, it, yeah. I, I don't even have to say I do believe. We know it won't because we saw his power 
in previous years. Now, last year it was amped, but he will always be one of the power front runners. So even if the ball comes down and brings everybody down, he will still be near the top. Miguel Sano will. He, he's going to be in my top 15. Okay. I, I don't think that's out of bounds. Um, let's talk about some fallen stars because these are probably – Before we do, can, can I just mention uh, Justin Turner? Of course you can. I mean, I almost guessed him on the uh, three thirty thing, but I thought that was too obvious. That's why I went to JG, JD Dave. Yeah, uh, just I mean, Justin Turner. There's a potential that he could switch positions. Yes, he did say that, and, and his, his wife, wife said, just came out with the most amazing tweet ever. It it so, was amazing. It like was, just that's such all I a slam dunk. It just um, um, I'm buying stock in Justin Turner just because his wife is awesome. Just because he picks you know he he found a great person to marry yeah we 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 trust his judgment there He's got an amazing we should trust this name. game oh, that's kind of the downside part i thought stupid first wow. name wow. yeah How dare you. that was the part that i thought was kind of dumb um gonna be 35 next year justin turner is and you're looking at 543 426 549 with the plate appearances you really can't pencil in more than 500 but they're going to be good plate appearances because in those three years combined, we're looking at a 143 OPS plus. I'm on I'm on B ref here, so I'm doing the uh, OPS plus versus the uh, WRC plus. Not going to be that different in general there. I mean, he's awesome, right? And so if you do have a league that has you playing that's uh, more flexibility, allows you to replace guys easier, a shallower league, I love taking a Justin Turner. Because I'll, I'll figure it out on the waiver wire, but give me him when he is playing. I agree with that. That's a good call out. Yeah, I, I think he's definitely a league-dependent kind of guy. If, if you're playing in a shallower sense. format, I love Justin Turner. But And I know like I, I tweeted out uh, like last week or something at the behest of uh, uh, co-host Nick Pollock uh, to get some more information. It does seem like majority of our listeners are playing in 12-team leagues. Uh, that being said, I, you and I will probably still cater to f- deeper formats. One, because I think it applies to everybody. Uh, yeah, it covers and, even the 12-team folks. Exactly. They hear about players that they might need to know more about later, and we still cover shallower players. Yeah, So, uh, and that's just what we tend to play. So it, exactly. Know, I'm not going to talk about 10-team leagues very often because I don't play in a lot of 10-team leagues. But Justin Turner is one of those guys in a 10- and 12-team leagues that I really like because – the replacement values there when he does go down 100%. And like I said, going to be a stud when he does play, I think even at 35 and if he does, you know, we make the joke about the position change thing. Uh, if he does change and go somewhere else, goes to add in a little bit of extra. Or, yeah. yeah give, give me that second. Oh, that'd be nice because second base is a little thin. And uh, so give me somebody like Turner there. I'm here for it. Yep. All right. Is that, is that it as far as the uh, the question marks? That yeah. You well, let's, talk let's go to some fallen stars. Yeah. Let's talk about these guys because this was something that I think the second everyone looks at the, my rankings, first blush, they're like, how the heck is Chris Bryant 10 and Manny Machado 15 because of their names? And I think this is a situation where name value makes makes it jarring. And then you kind of dig in and you're like, oh, OK, particularly with Machado. And I highlighted my big issue with him in the comment, which was Camden, he hit 296, 353, 537. Everywhere else, 267, 323, 449. He's just been a different player outside of Camden. And so, I don't know, his even his 32 homers. Now, so many guys would love to have their kind of downish meh year be 3285. But it was with a 256 average. He's under 262 of the last three years. I just don't know that his, you know, even even give him a few more ribbies. Call it 30, 90, 260. It just doesn't go as far as it used to with Machado. What do you think? Oh, this is a hard one because you look at the track record and you go, well, this is the first year at a new place. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we give him a little bit of leeway there and i'm uh, i'm always open to what often uh, always with pitchers especially when they become like the man but hitters too you need a year to settle when you get the mega deal it's a different it, you're living in a different world at that point even though they were stars before harper and machado it's different when you've got the nine figure deal you know 
So yeah, I'm. I'm, there's part of me that wants to believe that there's going to be uh, another bounce back, uh, especially as he, I mean, not only did he go to a, a new city, he went to a new league. You're seeing a lot of pitchers for the first time. You don't have a read on them uh, uh, as much. We know he's not Johnny Hustle, so we have to assume he's probably not the biggest studier either. And so maybe it takes him some time to uh, to adjust. But like you said, I mean, in a down season, quote-unquote down season, 32 home runs, uh, 81 runs, 85 RBIs to a team that's only going to get better uh, around him. So I I don't have a problem with the ranking. I think some people are going to be like, you're way too low or you're way too high. And I think while it may seem like fence-sitting, I think – with the depth of third base, 15th seems just about right for Manny Machado. Right. Uh, uh, that's yeah. That's kind of where I'm at too, where it's like, I don't know, you know, I don't want, I don't want to be Mr. Fence sitter, but at the same time, it, it, it seems like that's kind of where it should be. And if you can get him at that price, I think you're going to feel good about it, especially if crazily enough, he's like your corner. Or your middle, because he has dual eligibility, which helps. That and, is the and, nice part. Unfortunately, it's shortstop, which is already so deep. Yeah. So you're probably going to use him at third. But I mean, if you're getting Manny Machado in your draft at corner infield, you're going to feel good walking out of it. Now, should you feel good and will you feel good are two different things. Because <laughs> uh, you may not – you it may turn out – we may see more regression or we may – uh, we really just don't know what we're going to see from him. The stat cast numbers are really interesting because in a year where everybody gained exit velocity, he lost exit velocity. Now it's just a little yeah. bit, but it, that's jarring. In a year where everybody gained hard hit percentage, he lost hard hit percentage. It was not just a little there. So it's there are some concerning things Uh but I also think if the ball deadens, I don't think he's going to be as affected maybe as some other people might be. So, yep, I think that's true with uh, with Machado for sure. I'm, I'm he he's not a guy I'm going to be targeting. Right? Yeah, he's not a guy I'm going to be targeting. But there will be drafts where he falls, and in those drafts, I will grab him. Yeah, I, I think I'll have some shares too, and I'm not even that giddy on Machado. But I do think I, I think the market's going to kind of uh, agree as as it as the off season develops, he's still going pretty high in earlier drafts. Machado is because of the dual eligibility. But when you mentioned his other position, it helps, right? We always love eligibility, but it's not a thin position with shortstop that he adds. So I don't know that it should boost him up too much, but if people want to take him over like a Donaldson, if they see those two as kind of equal, so give me the younger guy just on principle. Okay. I get that. But you know, a lot of these other guys that are above him, I don't know that I see Machado winning it. So if he does kind of meander down the rankings, I think I'll I think I'll get a share or two. So I'm eager to see how his draft price develops. Right now, it is much higher than 15th at third base. Um, what about Chris Bryant here? Because he had a great season, uh, but I wound up with him at 10th because I'm looking and it's like come kind of a different player. You you think of him as like a 3,100 guy. Well, he hasn't done that since 2016, and that's the only year he's done it. He did hit 31 homers, but only 77 ribbies. Part of that is where he bats. He's more of a runs guy. But I just think he's a little bit of a different guy at this point with Chris Bryant. He's going to be 28. He's not old. He's still good. But 10th felt weird, and yet at the same time, right. Yeah, I'd probably drop him a little bit. I, I think I'm going to have him closer to Machado. Uh, I have a hard time taking Bryant over Yon Moncada for sure. The upside of Vladimir Guerrero, Matt Chapman, and you know uh, his continuing uh, growth. And even Josh Donaldson. I mean, Donaldson was healthy. And, I love Donaldson. You know, will Bryant be healthy? That's that becomes a, a huge issue for him because, I mean, he did miss a little bit of time. He, he played 147 games, so that's that's you know good enough. But you know, he has that back issue. If that reoccurs, 
I think this one's really interesting with David Ross being the manager. Because I'm really interested to see where they're going to hit him in the lineup. You talk about he he uh, did, you know, third straight year without 100 RBI. I wonder if they start hitting him third, fourth more than second, third. Uh, which would obviously... Say, say that last part again, if they move Bryant down? Yeah, move him to yeah. like, hitting third or fourth as opposed to hitting second or third. And that could change the RBI count, mm-hmm. of course, while not necessarily killing the runs and mm-hmm. maybe get him back closer to that 95-95, if not 100-100. Yeah. So, while I'm probably a little bit more down on Bryant than you are, uh, I, I don't see a real reason to drop him an extreme amount. It's probably, I think that there might be like two kind of mini clubs in, in third base, and he's yeah. part of the that first one. I, I think there's like an upper tier glob, and then mm-hmm. and then the mid tier glob. Yeah, because I mean, for me, I I really like I really like Moncada and the fact that he he has a speed asset. I really like uh, the upside of Vlad. So, but I mean, is he, is Chris Bryant really that much different than Matt Chapman and Josh Donaldson? Probably not. Probably not. No, no. And, and they're down at, uh, 13 and 14 and Bryant's at 10. And so, yeah, you know, if someone said, ah, I love Chapman, he's, you know, we keep making the Donaldson comparison cause it's easy and it makes sense. I think I, I don't do it just because they're both like Oakland guys. Like it really Really looks They're like very a similar players, a yeah. Donaldson development path here. Uh, and if they said, you know, I'm gonna take him over Bryant, I wouldn't bat an eye. And then you have guys like McNeil and Lemayhu, who I have at eight nine, who are really interesting. They've got triple eligibility. They're kind of average first, and their power developed this year. Uh, there's maybe definitely ball influence on on both. But McNeil quietly had some major pop in the minors too. And, you know, he was, um, in 2018, he put up a 232 ISO. Now, a lot of that was batting average, or, or was um, extra base hits that weren't homers, I should say. But, you know, the the pop isn't out of nowhere for uh, for McNeil. I don't think it was LeMahieu, all just on the, other hand. the ball. Yeah, LeMahieu definitely was like, okay. But even to give him a neutral ball, what do, you, what do you think out of him? Like 315, yeah. 100 runs, 80 ribs? I think that I think like 290 15 homers, 5 6 stolen bases uh is probably what we see from LeMahieu with a kind of a more neutral ball. Uh not that I even think we're going to get a neutral ball. Uh I mean that's the, th- the thing we don't know. Yeah, one of the things I said uh at during my panel uh at First Pitch Arizona was because I mean there was a lot of talk about the ball and how the ball is you, you know influenced and and the fact that the playoff ball seems to be more dead than than the regular season ball uh we know that there's going to be a change or at least we expect there's going to be a change but if it's up to major league baseball they want runs scored and so if if i'm gonna make a educated guess on where in the spectrum between the ball we've seen in the postseason and the ball we saw in the regular season, I'm definitely going to err more on the side of the ball we saw in the regular season uh, than that would just a be deader crazy ball. if if they if they just keep going back and forth. That's the thing that I'm like so shook on. It's like okay, I can hear what you're saying, but that means another change because this ball is different. I'm surprised that there's still people out there who are like, well, they just came out yesterday. This is random chance. Yeah, they just came out yesterday. Major League Baseball came out yesterday and said, this batch is from the regular season ball. Like, the only difference is there's a stamp on it. That's hilarious. It's it's like a stamp made of lead, apparently. (laughs) You know, they're just like weighing it down. I I don't know. I I mean, we have a four pound lead stamp. That's the only (laughs) difference we made. Stop crying. Yeah, so. Uh, I I don't you know I don't understand like how they can I mean there's been like scientific articles done on this that it's obviously a yeah. different ball than they used in the regular season, but you do you MLB. Uh, at the same time, if they do make adjustments and they said they have said they're going to look at it in the in the off season, mm-hmm. my guess is they will be minor adjustments from the regular season ball. They they want these balls to fly more offense, uh, 
equals more excitement in the eyes of MLB, not in my I eyes, can agree with that. in the eyes yeah, of MLB. Uh, and so I, I think that there is a real chance that the difference between the 2008 or 2019 regular season ball and the 2020 regular season ball is slim. Okay. Well, that that's, that's good then. Cause then if I'm planning for more of a neutral ball and it ends up being closer to 19, then that's a benefit because it just adds to these guys. But if you go in just being cautious, then you can't get so burnt. And that's kind of what I've been doing just to make sure that I don't uh, overrate some of these guys who definitely had some bad, you know, uh, had some of the influence from the ball to get a handful of extra homers. I think, uh, I think let's Todd finish up. Zola tweeted out something the other day where he said, like, people often kind of discount three-year averages as – yeah. Oh, you know, I don't he know. mentioned that at the conference too. Oh, okay. I, I didn't hear him mention it at the conference, but I think that he, he, he brought up a really good point with it was, you know, we had a juice ball in 2017. We had a juice ball in 2019. We didn't have a juice ball in 2018. Well, if, if that ball is going to be closer to the 2019 ball than the 2018 ball or the playoff ball, then mm-hmm. a three-year average is actually a pretty good indicator of what some of these guys will do. Yeah. Absolutely. Like it, it is still pretty useful. I think, you know, you look at how things bounce around with players and it's the easiest thing to do, but it's also still pretty valuable. If, if, if that's all you were able to do, you wouldn't be over your head in a draft. If all you could take was three year averages, I think you'd still be, uh, be kind of uh, in line to do some things uh, and, and kind of know who were the right right picks here and there. So I agree with that point. That was a good point that he made. Uh, like I said, I heard it at, at the Fall League. But um, let's finish with Vlad Jr., right? Because he came in, mega hype. Um, I wasn't afraid of it. I, you know, I was I was absolutely part of it. I will, I will say that for sure, that say, hey, you want to take him early? I get it. I wound up with him as like my sixth or seventh guy on the um, uh, on seventh. It was Arenado, Ramirez, Bregman, Rendon, Baez, Bryant, Vlad Jr. And obviously, he did not meet the expectations, like not even close. So, he did show a little glimpse in July and August. It looked like, hey, 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 what, hey, we're getting a little something here. 902 OPS through those two months. Where do you stand now? Because I still had him 12th which if people wanted to say was too high, I could understand. Can't go too far, though. I think the lowest I could really comfortably do and understand would be to put him below Chapman, Donaldson, Machado, and then right there with Turner because he actually kind of cuts a Turner profile right now where it's not super power-focused, but it's a really good batting average. Where do you stand with Vlad Jr. right now going into 2020? Mm, this is a tough one because I really like Vlad for 2020, but I don't feel like there's any discount. Not even that. There's not only not a discount. There's a surcharge. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't. I don't know that it's. I don't know that we can count it as a surcharge. Uh, it's four rounds. I know you're going to bring up the injury, but it's four rounds higher, dude, for somebody who didn't. But that's where he was going before the injury. He was going. But why would he still go at this? That that it still doesn't make sense. No, I'm I'm not why saying it makes sense. I'm just saying I price. just disagree that it's it's a surcharge. I think you're paying the exact same price for a guy. To me, who, that's a surcharge, though. Okay, if I'm paying the same price for somebody who did not meet expectations in a very reasonable 514 plate appearance sample. And I'm not out on him. This is not a, I'm not running to the other guardrail here where I was bought in and now I'm running the other way, but you can't look at the depth of third base and just blindly say, well, I'm still going to take Vlad fifth at the position. No, I, I don't think you can take him over uh, Suarez or Muncy or uh, or Devers. uh, And I think people are going to. Uh, Sure. And it's a bummer to me because I want a share of Vlad and I'm probably, I mean, I'll probably do like a best ball. We'll, we'll, we'll do like the sleeper on the best, best ball team again, uh, where we just take shares of players we don't have. We don't have. Yeah. And we'll get our Vlad Jr. One yeah, there. We'll get our, we're going to we'll take him in the third round. Uh, so, but it's, uh, it's disappointing that the, the, the hype is still going to be unreal. 
Uh, it reminds me of uh, it reminds me of Luis Castillo, right? Because he he yeah, had the big expectations. Ex- the, you got you and Eno drove up his price the first year, <laughs> uh, and then somehow his ADP didn't change the next year it, after he disappointed. Four thirty ERA, and everyone's like, "Yeah, I'm still bought in." I'm like. I hate you guys for being yeah. smart because I, I believed that you should have still been bought in. I, I was I with just you guys. Wanted there. a discount. I wasn't with you the first time. I was with you the second time. You got you uh, got on board. Well, you got on board at the right time then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you missed the crap, and then you jump on for a 191 inning season of a 3.40 ERA. So you you played it brilliantly. But uh, yeah, so I mean that's kind of where we're at with Vlad Jr. Uh, if you want him, you gotta you gotta pay the toll. I think it is going to. It, it could be one of those where it's like. I don't like doing it because of the guys you have to take them over. But then at the end of the year, you could say, well, it did work out. But then it's a process versus results thing. It's like yeah. you still you still shouldn't have done it because of, of who you bypassed. But then he still did well, right? So then was it was it the right pick then, you know? I It's hard. I just – I think it depends on what kind of team you're building uh, and – the hard part is when you're picking in the third or fourth round where he's going to be going, or do you really want to already be thinking about the team that you've already put together and the team you're going to be putting together? Yeah. You, you usually don't even know what you're doing. You know, you're yeah. kind of setting a foundation there and he has to be Vlad Jr. has to be part of that foundation. Well, it, but um, he's not a fa- That's the thing. He's not a foundational piece because the floor isn't as high as other guys. I mean, yeah, we we just don't know. I tend to want to build my team now, my if or my uh, my FPAS draft aside. I tend to want to build safe for you know safety in my first few rounds, mm-hmm. and then I'll take shots later on. Uh, by that by that thought process, Vlad can't be on my team. Yeah, for sure. For sure. He's, I mean, the idea that you could walk away with fifteen stolen bases. From your third round pick, especially you mean, if you mean fifteen homers. Yeah, sorry, what did I say? Fifteen stolen bases. Or, that'd be sorry, dope if he stole yeah, fifteen. Yeah, bags. if he stole fifteen bases, uh, <laughs> that'd be amazing, uh, considering he had one attempt. <laughs> um, sorry, so fifteen home runs for, from my third round pick. Uh, that that's not okay. No, like that just doesn't scary. play. Especially if, I mean, it's one thing if you get that. And you loaded up on offense. You did what I did in my FPAS draft, where you went five hitters in a row. But imagine if you take two pitchers in your first four rounds, and then you take Vlad. Mm-hmm. That's setting yourself up. You have to. He has to produce that's, in that's order the to problem. be worth it. He absolutely has to produce, and that's what I said at the panel at first pitch Arizona was. I like Vlad. I do. I truly do. But you're you're making it where where people are picking him. He must perform for you. There, there is no leeway. You can't get another 272 and 15 homers in a in a relatively full season, 514 play appearances. Um, you know he can go 650 there. We don't think he's going to do that. But what what do you think about these projections? This steamer is is this the new steamer for next year? Because it's got him at a 292 with 23 homers. Looks I don't like think that. steamer. Oh, well, might uh, be out. I don't know, but it says age 20. Which is what he is this year, so I don't know. But what do you think about that as a projection? Well, if you, the nice thing about steamer is we, or the nice thing about zips is zips. We have the zips oh, three yeah. projections down below, so they have him at twenty five home runs, two ninety seven, three sixty six, four uh, or sorry, five forty four. What do you think about that for Vlad? I think that is fine. Um, I I, mean, I think it may be a bit rich on the average but I think 25 home runs is probably what I would be comfortable penciling him in for See, the uh, average is the piece that I I don't really question as much I think the average is going to be there because mm. the, even even this year in a year that did not go right he hit a capable 272 which is not something that you're like backflipping over but it certainly didn't hurt you at all yeah, and I guess I mean he did have his his second half was two ninety three. Mm-hmm. We really started to see, like I said, we got that big glimpse in July and August of like, okay, this is the Vlad that people were talking about. Yeah, can I mean, he? Be... There's a huge difference in BABIP between first and second half too. 
Uh, I don't. I have a hard time penciling him in for for pretty much three hundred. But it's always hard with with somebody who hasn't done it at the major league level with to put put him in that batting average because, I mean, plus batting average is so he's so rarely, talented that he really it's, is. It's really hard. I mean, just physically watching him hit, uh, even when you know the results aren't there. I mean, you can tell just how much power is going to develop at some point, mm-hmm. and that he's going to hit for average. I just don't know that it's going to be next season. And if he does do what the projections, you know, those projections say, and he goes twenty-five home runs, three hundred, that lineup probably doesn't get him to a hundred RBI. So probably, but but I think they're going to be better. So yeah. it wouldn't blow me away if he did get there. But, do but like you're not seventy-five, ninety. Yeah, yeah, something Is that like that. A third-round pick. I don't think that it is. No, no, no. Now, two things that surprised me about Vlad Jr.'s profile. One, he hit poorly at home, 677 with a 239 average. That 677 was the OPS and only five of his homers. And he had even playing time, home and away, by the way. So it was 10 homers on the road, 303 average, 865 OPS. And lefties crushed him. Now, he only had a 233 Babbitt, but he hit 215 with just four of his homers in 145 plate appearances. I'm not sure that I'm putting a whole bunch of stock in either, but if the home improves, if, if he has home improvement, <laughs> I hate myself. Um, that, could be, that could be pretty interesting. Oh, I hate you more. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I totally didn't even see it coming is the, is the, is the best part. That's like, the best it's part. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously a room for improvement. Uh, interesting thing, too, obviously small sample as well. Uh, hit much better as a third baseman than that as a DH. And we, we do talk about the, the DH tax yes. usually being about 10%. This is more like 70%. <laughs> it was big. It's hard. You 288 know, it, it's hard. versus 219. 13 home runs as a third baseman, two home runs as a DH. Uh, so you wonder, because he was a butcher in the field at times. His only only asset is the arm. His arm is great. Yeah, and speaking of Todd Zola, one of the things that he mentioned um, early with Vlad, I remember seeing him at the Fall League last year, was he seemed... Vlad seemed to want to get into positions where he wasn't afraid to use his arm, so he'd almost back up on stuff even though it didn't look like the right play where he was always trying to make it so that he could show off the arm as opposed to just making the play easier for himself. And that was something that he worried about. And I think we did see that at play in the majors as well. And and we know the body is not, uh, not live if, if you will. And uh, the whole weights thing. So there's question. How crazy is that? He's never lifted a weight Insane. in his life. Like insane, I don't understand. But I'm also not a baseball player. Like I don't understand when your dad is Vlad Guerrero Senior. Why you've never seen the inside of a weight room like that? Like, like eh. I I don't understand. My nine year old has seen the inside of a weight room, and like I'm me. I'm so, me. <laughs> no, it's bananas. It it really is. But if he does kind of get that fire under his butt to, to turn it around and start lifting and everything and kind of chisel himself. We saw Devers. One of the big things that he mentioned in that first year was he said he was carrying too much weight. He did get kind of uh, under the wing of, of a JD Martinez and Xander Bogarts. And we saw what the transformation that he had. So there is, there is upside here, but not at the price for Vlad Jr., and that's kind of the bottom line point there. So we'll see how his draft price evolves. I don't think it will come down much, if at all, though. I think it'll mostly stay and uh, grotesquely could even go up, especially if he had, like, a big spring. But we're yeah, going to go ahead and cap it there. If a big spring, it's going to be crazy. It's, it's uh, over. Quick mention, because we forgot to mention this when we talked about David Ross. Uh, the Padres are expected to sign Ryan, uh, Ron Washington. Oh, Okay. Uh, which is a they great could run move defensively for them. Yes. He is a defensive wizard, which will be great for some of their pitchers. Yes, I love that. Uh, you know, he's namely Richard, uh, Garrett Richards, uh, Paddock Lucchese, and Paddock, and uh, uh, Denelson Lamette. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 
maybe a little uptick to them when I, I agree. finish my starting pitcher rankings uh, just on, on the basis that that defense should improve. Yeah, I, I like that. That's a great call out there. He's He's been great at that and base running. So some of the guys that uh, that are already running could run more and maybe some of the guys who have the skill but don't necessarily maybe, – maybe Machado gets back to running, right? Uh, We've his, seen his him. His sprint speed was in the blue. Oh, wow. 39th percentile. But not always about the, the sprint speed. It can be about the wits. And, and if you can and get being some – Johnny Hustle. Yeah, well, he was 14 for 16 just last year, Machado was. If he got back to that – Whoa, those he extra stole 14 nine bases? Yeah, in 18, he did. Oh, but this year he was. Oh, okay. Th- sorry, I'm still saying this year for 19, last year for 18. Uh, he was five for eight this past season, 14 for 16 the year before. But that were a but year even, removed from I mean, 14. Even if he doubles 16. that five and gets back to double digits, that's thir- what I'm saying. A 30 10 guy at 270 is pretty valuable. Mm hmm. So. No, I, I, absolutely. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But that's third base. Guys can check out the post. Let me know in the comments what you think my uh, my biggest issues were. But I got to get going, so uh, we will talk later. Maybe this week. I don't know. Maybe we can do a Friday one. But if not, if I have we'll power. Buy. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. So that's right. I'll let you know. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right. Take it easy.